Maximizing the power efficiency of our designs has become critical as more systems get their energy from battery rays and as we look to high power electronics to supplant traditional combustion-based systems. Many of us are looking towards wide band gap technologies to help us design these systems. But how complex are they to design in and how do we make cost-benefit decisions for those new silicon carbide and gallium nitride-based technologies? Technologies like solar inverters, uh, battery-charged autonomous vehicles, and electric vehicles have really changed the way that we as electrical engineers have to look at our designs and the efficiency of the power that we use. But even more traditional applications like appliances and even tool recharge circuits with a lot of regulatory body, bodies looking at those have required us to take a look at what happens to the power that comes into our system and maximizing the efficiency of that power to ensure that we can complete the application in the most efficient manner possible. Adding to the complexity of that, also wanting our applications to be able to work on uh, electric grids around the world with different AC voltages coming into them, and you end up with a lot of complexity that we've got to consider in our power architectures and our systems. Now, all this great, these complexities have added and, and created this new great way of looking at our semiconductors and, and caused us to look a little bit away from silicon and at new technologies like silicon carbide, like gallium nitride, and what we call wide band gap technologies for more efficiency and, and lower impedances in our designs, lower RDS ons for our MOSFETs, uh, lower voltage drops across our diodes uh, to maximize the capabilities of our systems. Uh, but with those new technologies, there are things like a slightly different way of looking at how we do those designs as engineers. And then beyond that, they are more expensive typically than traditional silicon design. So how do we make the decision on when it makes sense to move to a wide band gap technology for our designs? Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Doug Bailey, who's Vice President of Marketing and Applications at Power Integrations uh, and an expert in this area of, of technology. Doug, thanks so much for joining us on The Current today. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much for having me, Todd. So I think these wide band gap technologies have been around long enough that we've all started to get fairly familiar with them and, and, and some of the basics of them. Um, but what, what really has led and, and created the ability for this technology to start thriving and for us to start looking at new ways of using these silicon carbide and gallium nitride technologies? Yeah, the, the way I, I think about silicon carbide and gallium nitride is, is I, I think back to my first uh, EE 101 class uh, at university. And the, the lecturer put up a, a, an image of a, a, of a transistor, and he went through how a, how a transistor works. And the analysis done at that point was all about the ideal transistor. So this transistor had you know, no, uh, no RDS on, it had no capacitance, it, had, it required no gate energy to drive it, it was just basically a, a switch. And it turns out that, you know, obviously, you know, you learn in uh, the very next class that, uh-oh, there are things like voltage drops and RDS-ons and capacitances, and that you need to take account of those when you design a real circuit. And the way most power supply topologies are, are designed, they're designed to overcome some kind of imperf imperfect parasitic that that is brought on by... Uh, by the relatively poor switches that we're all using, you know, for initially bipolar and 
and most recently uh, silicon MOSFETs. Right. Um, the way I think about gallium nitride and silicon carbide is it's closer, they're both closer to the ideal switch. The, the, the capacitance that you have to suffer, the, the COSS across the uh, source drain, is lower compared to the um, conductivity. And so you can add a lot more conductivity to your circuit without suffering a penalty from switching losses. And that's the fundamental benefit. It's closer to the ideal switch. And so you can make power supply designs with fewer compromises uh, to, to efficiency and, and thermal performance and, uh, and uh, power delivery. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way of looking at it. I mean, really, that's the consideration. It is much more close to that perfect switch that we all start out thinking, oh, this is going to be easy to design in. And then you start realizing there's a lot more complexity involved in that design when you're in the real world and not just looking at a, a simple schematic design in that, that electrical engineering 101 class that we all took. Um, so, you know, we kind of, that, that kind of gets into some of the benefits um, that we've got for silicon carbide and gallium nitride. Um, of those, you know, technologies, do you think there's a place for both of them out there? Um, or do you think one of them is going to end up winning out over time? Uh, yeah, that's a very, very interesting question. Um, at the moment, silicon carbide is, is the volume shipper. And that's because it's been out longer. I, I think you know, silicon carbide diodes came out maybe 12 years ago or so, and they mm -hmm. became very popular very quickly. Um, the the uh, low reverse recovery is the main reason that people like the silicon carbide diodes. Uh, and then it took a little longer to do MOSFETs, and that's because there's no native oxide. So you have to s struggle to build a reliable oxide for a silicon carbide part. You know, if you try and oxidize silicon carbide, you get um, gas and sand, which is not helpful. Um, so you have to build an oxide uh, for the gate. Anyway, that, se that problem seems to have been solved. People have become very comfortable uh, using silicon carbide. In fact, you know, major uh, automobile companies are now using silicon carbide in their EV inverters. And the world has moved to a point where silicon carbide is fine. Uh, gallium nitride is relatively new. Uh, we launched our first product in uh, 2018. And uh, there were a couple of guys at lower voltages who launched even before that. Uh, so it's still a relatively new technology. But in my view, it's better. It's a, it's a better technology than silicon carbide, uh, particularly at uh, low voltages. And by low voltages, I mean mains connected kinds of voltages. So what I anticipate is that gallium nitride will supplant silicon carbide in uh, lower voltage applications like um, your, your mains connected devices. The, the manufacturing technology of GAN is, is cheaper than silicon carbide. And the way to think about that is, is energy budget. Uh, it turns out, you know, silicon, carbon, even gallium is not a rare earth element. Uh, nitrogen is obviously around. So none of the chemicals are um, in short supply worldwide. Uh, so that, that, that's not where the cost is. The cost is in the energy budget required to process the materials to create the wafers, to do the epi, to, uh, and so on. Right. And silicon carbide loses on that score. It, it's a material that requires an awful lot of energy to process. 
And so in my view, silicon carbide will always be a more expensive technology than gallium nitride because of the energy budget requirement. So then it boils down to, or I guess, if GAN can do it, it should do it because it's right. cheaper. Um, and so, and the way that's working is, it, is GAN is starting at the lower voltages and, and I think it's gonna sweep up into higher voltages as time passes, likely supplanting silicon carbide um, from the from the lower voltage end up and, and then uh, and up and it'll it'll be a there'll be some kind of a of a truce formed at, at some point uh, don't, <laughs> don't know where what voltage that level is going to be at but it'll be silicon carbide above a certain voltage and, and gallium nitride uh, below in my uh, in my opinion right right uh, that makes sense now are switching speeds going to play into that at all uh, from that standpoint uh, I don't think so. Um, both silicon carbide and gallium nitride offer higher switching speeds than silicon uh, and silicon alone. Um, and I think that both of them surpass the, the capability of the magnetics components by quite a large margin. And so you really don't worry too much about switching for, uh, for either of the new technologies. It's the um, it's the magnetics magnetics that hold us back, um, and I I think that we're bumping against some fundamental laws of the universe there that are going to be really hard to solve. So right. you know, most frankly, most of the time we worry about slowing down the GAN and silicon carbide switches that we use rather than uh, attempting to uh, leverage their high speed. Right, right, makes sense. And then as far as applications, you know, we kind of talk about, you know, we're kind of talking about the future and where things are going. And it sounds like definitely GAN seems to have a leg up on, as time goes by on, on being maybe the technology that wins a wider swath of the market. But if, if a customer was looking at applications today, what kind of applications would you steer them towards? Maybe you should go with silicon carbide for these kinds of applications today. And maybe in these kinds of applications, you should be looking more at GAN. Yeah, we're in a, I think a unique position, uh, we have a product line called the InnerSwitch 3, and that leverages silicon, gallium nitride, and silicon carbide all in the same product family. So it's the same controller. It's a, it's, maybe I should start at the beginning. It's a flyback power supply chip, and it's got a controller on the primary, the primary switch, the secondary controller, and then a built-in uh, magnetoelectric couple that we call FluxLink that communicates from the secondary to the primary and allows uh, for the synchronization of the synchronous rectifier and the main and the primary switch. So that product line um, for um, 30 watts and below, approximately 30 watts and below, uh, we recommend the silicon switch. And the main reason for that is that the gallium nitride switch is so small uh, that it's hard to pick up uh, and the periphery of the of the of the transistor right. takes up such a high proportion of the area that it it really doesn't help very much. Also, the package we use is thermally very efficient anyway. And so, you know, a, a 92, 93% efficient switcher in the package we're using at 30 watts doesn't dissipate a lot of energy anyway. And so it, it's a, silicon's the right choice. But if you go over 30 watts, uh, at, at mains kind of power uh, voltage levels, something in the 300 to 400 volt uh, main bus level, uh, we recommend gallium nitride. 
the gallium nitride can go up to 200 watts quite, quite comfortably in a tiny surface mount package. It does a great job. And uh, that's what uh, we see as the future for the higher power levels for flybacks. And then we have a silicon carbide in exactly the same package with exactly the same controllers. And the silicon carbide is used for high voltage applications. It's a 1700 volt silicon carbide device. Right. And we would use that in applications like 800 volt bus uh, automotive. So it, it's um, inside an automotive inverter, there's a needs to be an emergency power supply. Uh, and the reason for an emergency power supply is if the 12 volt uh, battery connection falls off the inverter, the inverter needs to be able to generate power for the controller so you don't end up with an undefined s situation for the um, IGBTs or, or sick MOSFETs inside the inverter. So that needs to be a very reliable, uh, very robust, high voltage power supply. And that's what we use this, uh, th this inner switch three with a silicon carbide device for. Uh, and that's become quite popular. And then in, in any other uh, 800 volt application, the, the 1700 volt switch is, is really, uh, really does a fabulous job. So in an EV, you may see it in um, the air conditioning systems, for example, that's a high voltage right. system. So anywhere where you need to convert the high voltage bus down to uh, uh, something suitable for the electronics, the for the CAN bus or the controllers, yeah, that's a, PI specialty is uh, sipping from a fire hose, right? That's what we uh, help engineers to do. Right, right. Makes sense. Um, <clears throat> so with all of that, and when you're looking at those types of circuits, whether it's an HVAC or, or, or some of the, you know, motor drive, um, a, a solar inverter, things along those lines that we maybe, or as electrical engineers, maybe we're familiar with doing that in a high-powered silicon MOSFET design. Um, is it more complex to do a design with silicon carbide or GAN? Or are there other considerations that the engineer needs to be taking into account? Or is it pretty much the same with just those lower RDSons that we've talked about? Yeah, that's that's a, an interesting question. The, the answer is yes and no. Um, yes, it is more complex to use gallium nitride uh, or silicon carbide. And that's because the devices switch faster and they need a little bit more uh, babying and management to work at all, and a lot more to get the best out of them. Uh, right. What we've done with our product, I mentioned this product before, that's the, the device that can have either silicon gallium nitride or, or silicon carbide in it uh, as the main switch, is we've taken the, we've done the hard work. So we, we've, we're controlling these devices very carefully, we're, we're managing them well. And so from the external point of view, um, a developer wouldn't see any difference. Um, in fact, it, it, it's quite funny. You, you put the drain waveforms on a scope for, for, our, for the product, and you can't tell from a scope image whether it's silicon or gallium nitride or silicon carbide. You just can't tell. The only, the, the, the giveaway for GAN is that it jumps up a percent and a half in efficiency from, right. from 92 to around 93 and a half. And for silicon carbide, uh, your drain waveform is going to be at, uh, you know, <laughs> over a thousand volts. So those are the giveaways. Uh, but from the wave shape point of view, you can't tell. So we've taken the, the, um, 
difficulty out of it for the engineers, and we're we're serving up a product that uh, can get them into gallium nitride or silicon carbide without a lengthy development process. It's it's a um, completely painless to use one of these advanced technologies uh, rather than the worry. So, so that that's my my advice is to choose when you want to use one of these kinds of technologies is to is to choose a highly integrated solution where somebody else, like like Power Integrations, has done the work for you uh, to deal with the switching speeds and the other um, uh, more challenging aspects of using the new technology. Right, right. And so, you know, along those lines, what are some of the things that Power Integrations has done uh, to make working with these systems easier for design engineers? Um, Probably the 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 most obvious thing is the integration. By putting it in the same package with the controller, uh, we've taken away a lot of the um, parasitic loops. You know, you, you get in a power supply. One of the tricks is to make sure that the uh, the switching loops are very short, so you don't excite parasitic inductances and capacitances, and um, uh, or, or generate a lot of EMI. You can think of the wires on the PCB as, a, as an antenna to a large extent. And so you're, you're switching high voltages and high currents through these little antennae and, uh, you know, and that radiates. And, and the, there are um, regulations as well as good sense that says you, know, you really shouldn't be radiating a lot of energy from a power supply. Um, so integration is, is what matters uh, and is, is the biggest benefit. Um, I think other people are learning that who have uh, discrete devices, um, but we've always been an integrated device company. And so uh, even our silicon devices have small loops. So it wasn't as big a leap for us as perhaps it was for folks who uh, were coming at this fresh from a, a discrete transistor point of view. Right, right. It, what do you see as kind of the inflection point? I mean, because obviously, you know, if you're doing something with a wide band gap, it is going to be a little bit more expensive. And, and then we've talked about a little bit more complexity involved in designing the circuit. Do you see an inflection point for an engineer on when they should be looking at wide band gap technology versus silicon? Uh, maybe as far as the efficiency required in the system or, or the cost that their market will bear? Okay, so I, I think I'm going to challenge you on the more expensive part. Um, okay. Uh, the initially, when when a new technology has been launched, it, it tends to be a little bit more expensive um, one, until the volumes start coming up. I mean, the, the the semiconductor semiconductor industry is a spectacular industry from a uh, the point of view of um, cost reduction and scaling and size, uh, bringing costs down. And it turns out that gallium nitride has already crossed that uh, that boundary. So from, uh, from a PI point of view, uh, you know, from PI products point of view, we're already lower cost with gallium nitride than we are with silicon uh, right. for the power levels where gallium nitride uh, plays, plays a role. So that's in the, the, the mid power, you know, the, the, the 50, 60 watt up to 200 watt adapters. You're really better off using a gallium nitride uh, solution uh, because it, it saves so much um, trouble. Uh, you can go with a two-layer PCB instead of maybe a four or six-layer PCB. You can right. go with uh, smaller transformers. You can go with, uh, you know, you can maybe save a little bit on your capacitors. You certainly don't need heat sinks 
right? And so all of that system level cost adds up. And so if you if you do the math, uh, gallium nitride is is um, the way to go for these mid medium power um, mains voltage level power supplies up to uh, certainly two hundred watts. Yeah, I, I love getting a chance to, to change the perception out there because I think that is the perception is that, oh, if I go with these new technologies, it's going to be more expensive to my system. So to hear that and to hear that that's already starting to change is really, really exciting. Um, and I think something that we as engineers have to you know really accelerate our embrace of these different technologies um, and look at them in designs that we may think that, oh, I don't need wideband gap there. Well, it may make a lot of sense to go ahead and make that change. So that's incredibly exciting to hear. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. So well, Doug, I, thanks so I, much I, for sharing your expertise today. Really appreciate you being here on The Current. And um, this was incredibly informative for me uh, as we continue to look at these wideband gap technologies and where it's going to be uh, an impactful technology across all of our embedded designs. I think that's, that's definitely expanding, as you've just shown there. Uh, thanks also to our audience for joining us today on this episode of The Current. Uh, really appreciate you being here and, and being part of, uh, of what we're trying to do here at Future Electronics. If you have designs that you're looking at and looking at using wideband gap uh, in your designs, we've got teams of engineers, uh, our analog and power specialist engineers, our generalist engineers as well, who are really getting an expertise in this. We would love to work alongside your engineers, introduce you to experts like Doug from PI and others uh, to help you be successful in those designs. Please reach out to us at Shaping the Future at futureelectronics.com. Again, that's one word, shaping the future at futureelectronics.com. Uh, we would absolutely love to support you in your designs. Doug, thanks again so much for being here with me today. Really appreciate your time. Uh, and we'll look forward to seeing all of you next time on The Current. Thank you very much, Todd. It's been a pleasure.